Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, let's give a big hand to all the children who led the service today. They've led all three services. They did a great job. Uh, my hat's off to them. I, I tell you, they, they've, uh, they've put in uh, some extra time this morning. Um, I, I know a lot of folks are, um, are probably thinking about General Conference. I'm glad to be home from St. Louis, that's for sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's appropriate to talk about it in, in worship, especially on Children's Sabbath. But I did want to let you know that at 3 o'clock this afternoon, there's a district meeting at Lake Waccamaw United Methodist Church where our district superintendent will be there and, um, and delegates from our conference to answer questions about what took place at General Conference. I know that we've already got a, a pretty uh, sizable group um, from our church that's planning to go. That's 3 o'clock at Lake Waccamaw United Methodist Church. Will you pray with me? Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, we thank you for all these children, and for the fact that you call all of us your children. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts and open our ears, open our minds, so that we might hear what you would have to say to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've always been a rule follower, to tell you the truth. I I find comfort in rules. Um, It keeps me safe. Other people, though, they prefer to push the limits, to take risks, Uh, They might even break the rules from time to time. Uh, For some, it's uh, hard to follow the rules. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had three simple rules for his life, and they are, number one, do no harm. Two, do good. And three, stay in love with God. Those rules do sound pretty simple, don't they? But unless you've tried to live by these rules, don't judge the person who has tried and failed. Bishop Reuben Job says these three simple rules have the power to change the world. Do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. First, do no harm. I'm going to tell a series of stories about when I was in the seventh grade, a little older than these children that that led us today, but um, they'll be there soon. When I was in the seventh grade, I once got paddled by my teacher. Actually, uh, she had the football coach come do it. Um, Paddling was fairly common when I was in elementary school, but by middle school, they were having discussions about the appropriateness of corporal punishment in the classroom. And if you were going to paddle someone, you had to call their parents first. Well, they never called my mom, and um, we've never talked about this. So if you see her, don't bring it up, okay? I had pretty much the same friend group in elementary and middle school. We all lived relatively close together, close enough that we could ride our bikes to each other's homes, and we all went to school together, except for Andrew. He moved to High Point in the sixth grade when his father got transferred to my hometown. He had a little bit of a tough time fitting in since all the other kids already knew each other. Well, by seventh grade, some of the boys started having their growth spurts. Others didn't. Mine came early. I was five foot ten when I was 13. Andrew, however, was a good six, maybe eight, even ten inches shorter than me. He was also skinny and smart, very smart. In fact, sometimes he could be a bit of a know-it-all, to tell you the truth. What he couldn't do well was play sports. 
He was terrible at basketball, baseball, football, kickball, dodgeball, soccer ball, golf ball, tennis ball, hockey ball. You name it, he wasn't good at it. And he was still seen as new. So people made fun of him. But he was a nice kid. In fact, he would invite me over to spend the night at his house from time to time. I remember this new pizza company called Domino's that would deliver to your house which was so cool, so we stayed up late at night and we ordered pepperoni pizza to our house. That was the best ever. And we stayed up watching violent movies like all night long, like um, Friday the 13th or um, First Blood, which is better known as uh, Rambo or in my house better known as a movie I couldn't watch. Um, Anyway, um, one day we were sitting in the school cafeteria at lunch with two other guys who I'll call Chuck and Dave. These guys were the cool kids. They were on the football team. One was on the wrestling team, another on the basketball team. The girls showed more of an interest in them than any of the other guys in the class. They were big. They were strong. They were good-looking and honestly a little arrogant. Um, Chuck could be pretty nice most of the time, but everyone was scared of Dave. He was just a bully. At one point during lunch, Dave took my friend Andrew's apple. He thought this would be fun. Andrew didn't, but Dave did, and so he threw it to Chuck, who threw it back to Dave, and back to Chuck again in a kind of keep away. All the the while, Andrew's yelling, give me back my apple. They just kept tossing it back and forth while I sat there and watched until one of them missed, and the apple hit the wall beside the table where we were sitting, and then it fell onto the table, and apple got kind of bruised at that point. Realizing that the apple was now inedible, Dave took his hand and he smushed the apple down onto the table, making this gross, liquidy, nasty applesauce mess all over the table. And then suddenly, it was time to go. No one wanted to clean up this apple mess, but we had to leave our tables clean. That was the rule. So Dave told Andrew to clean up his apple. To his credit, Andrew stood up to Dave and said, no, you made the mess, you clean it up. And Dave said, if you don't clean it up, I'm going to give you a wedgie. Everybody know what a wedgie is? Uh, Okay, it's kind of an embarrassing story to tell. Andrew said, no, the teacher's telling us to come on. And as I recall, Chuck ended up cleaning up the apple mess. I stayed silent, afraid Dave might turn on me. After lunch, everyone was given a few minutes to go to the bathroom, and then we were supposed to line up on the wall to go back to the class. Only Andrew didn't go to the bathroom, afraid that Dave might meet him there and follow through on his promise to give him a wedgie. Instead, he sat on the floor outside the bathroom, um, shaking and protecting his backside. Our teacher, Miss Yant, came up and asked what was wrong. Andrew knew better than to tattle on Dave about his threat, After all, we all lived close together, and he was afraid that Dave might retaliate after school. So Andrew said nothing, and I said nothing, and Dave and Chuck said nothing, and no one else dared to speak about it either. So Miss Yant punished all the boys, all of us, until someone tells me what is going on, the boys will not be allowed to go to the bathroom while in my class or at lunch or after lunch until the end of the year. And so we didn't. 
Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. No boy told the story of what happened to Andrew for most of the year. I think, again, all of us were afraid of Dave. Until one day when another friend of mine named Jonathan said, I've had enough of this. I didn't have anything to do with it, and i got to go. So he went up to Miss Yant's desk, and he said, Dave and Chuck stole Andrew's apple that day in the cafeteria, and they made a mess, and when Andrew refused to clean it up, they threatened to give him a wedgie. So Miss Yant asked for Dave and Chuck and Andrew to come out in the hall. A few minutes later, Andrew came back in with Miss Yant, and she got on the intercom to call Coach Height. Coach Height, could you please come down here a minute, and um, would you mind bringing your paddle? She closed the door, went back outside, and the whole room went, ooh. <laughs> Coach Height had this fiberglass paddle that was about two inches thick, and he'd bore holes in it just to cut down on the wind resistance when he hit somebody. I had seen it, but I'd never seen it in action, and I was beginning to think that it was just a threat to keep us in line. I was about to find out that I was wrong. It was more than a threat. The door opened again. Doug, could you come out here a minute? Oh, man. I got paddled along with Dave and Chuck for not putting a stop to the whole thing. I didn't actively participate in the stealing and playing with the apple, and I didn't participate in the threats and bullying that followed. But I allowed the harm to continue. I was there, and I never did anything to stop it. And that made me complicit in the crime. Coach Height smacked me three times. It hurt so bad I couldn't sit down the rest of the class. And when the bell rang and I had to go to the next class, I couldn't sit down in that one either and had to go tell the teacher what had happened, which is probably why they put an end to paddling in schools. But I learned my lesson. Do no harm. In fact, don't passively sit back and watch as others are being harmed either. Which brings us to the next point. Do good. In the seventh grade, I thought do good meant the same as don't do bad, or in the words of John Wesley, do no harm. Nobody really ever told me to do good. Instead, they told me to stay out of trouble, right? And if I did, I was considered a good boy. But not doing bad things is not the same as actually doing good things. That just puts you in neutral, in the medium place, neither hot nor cold. To do good means so much more. Doing good means actively doing something positive for someone else. Doing good means giving the girl next to you a pencil when she forgot hers and you have two. Doing good means not only sitting with the new kid in the class, but inviting him to sit at your lunch table and including him in the conversation. Doing good means helping the person you hardly know when they're having trouble getting their locker open. It means telling people they did a great job on their oral report because everyone deserves to hear they did a great job when they actually did a great job on something we are all scared to death to do. It means when you hear people talking bad about somebody behind their back that you have the guts to say, well, I like this about her. It means noticing when someone in your class is struggling and feeling sad and taking the time to ask, what's wrong? It means stepping in and putting an end to the harm that you see happening to someone else. It's not enough to do no harm. As Christians, we also have to do good. 
And finally, stay in love with God. Seventh grade. This is also the year that I took confirmation class. In fact, as we were moving things back downstairs from uh, Hurricane Florence, I ran across the class picture from my confirmation class way back in the, in the day. Um, the girls, they all had this big hair, and they had on their Laura Ashley dresses that were so popular in the 80s. And uh, me, I actually had brown hair, and um, I really needed braces, and I was so skinny, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'd gone to church my entire life sat with my mom, my sister, and my grandparents while my dad sang in the choir. Went to Sunday school every week, went to youth group every week, went to Wednesday night dinner and to choir practice and handbell practice every week. Since my baptism when I was four months old, I have been a United Methodist. But in the seventh grade, the decision became mine to make. I knew it was expected of me, but and I was... I would say as learned about the Bible as any 13-year-old could be when it was time to be confirmed. But I still had questions, actually a lot of questions, including, could I opt out of this? Do I have to do this? Actually, I could opt out. I didn't have to do this. The associate pastor and an ordained deacon, they led the confirmation class, and they made it very clear that the decision was ours, not our parents'. We didn't have to say yes if we weren't ready. Because church membership meant making a commitment. And confessing that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, that meant making a commitment too. I think the thing that eventually got me was God's grace. I'd already memorized John 3.16 by the seventh grade. But it was in confirmation class that I first heard the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8. The last two verses go like this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means when I don't feel included, God still loves me. That means that even when I do something wrong, God still loves me. God might be disappointed in me from time to time, but God still loves me unconditionally. Nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I said yes at confirmation, and I've been in love with God ever since. Not always as faithful as I should be, not always getting it right, but I keep remembering that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So I keep trying, trying to do no harm, to do good, and stay in love with God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you will, please join with me by turning to page 12 in your hymnal as we continue with Holy Communion. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. 
We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's continue to pray in silence. Now hear the best news you're going to hear all day. Jesus Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Turning over to the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are going to assist if they'll come forward now and remind you that the bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup of salvation for which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. I want to remind you one more time that Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. So that means you don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church to partake in this holy meal. Instead, when you are instructed by the ushers to come forward, I invite you to, um, to come and take a piece of the bread as it is given to you and then dip it gently into the cup and then consume the element. You can... Um, Stay here at the altar for a time of prayer, or you can return to your seat for a time of prayer.
but come, taste and see that the Lord is good.